Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode four of Both Sides of the Stethoscope. I am your host, Dr. Colby Salerno, here with my co-host, Dr. Aline Gregosian. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about what it's like to work a demanding job while also trying to balance chronic illness and kind of talk about pill burden, doctor's appointments, and all of that fun stuff, and then kind of talk about it from our side as patients, but also what we've learned now as physicians in terms of dealing with patients who also have to balance their their life as well as their illness. So I'm excited for this. So let's get started. I'm excited for this topic too. So we're going to start with something simple, and that's just the idea of taking pills on a daily basis and kind of how that starts to change how you schedule your life. I'll start by explaining kind of how I do it, and then we'll we'll hear Aline's story as well. So for me, I've been taking medications since I was 12 years old, so it's kind of just a part of my everyday life. I'm very used to it, but... The idea of, you know, taking multiple pills two times a day for the majority of my life um, has been very difficult at times. And now it's kind of gotten more difficult through residency because I sometimes am working nights, sometimes I'm working days, sometimes I'm working weekends, other weekends I'm not working, and my schedule changes so much. And the pills we're on that we take are so important. They literally keep us alive. They make sure that our body doesn't attack our new organ that I know the importance of these medications. And it's so important for me to try and schedule the right time to take them. And as you can imagine, when you're all of a sudden coming home from work at 8, 8.30 in the morning, and you just want to sleep, but that's normally when you're supposed to take your medications, uh, sometimes you forget, and then you wake up paranoid, did you forget, and you don't even know if you took your medications because you're so tired. Um, so Aline, I don't know if you have these same like concerns or worries or trouble with scheduling your medications. I definitely feel the same. For me, I hadn't taken any medications my whole life until I was like 30 years old. I think the occasional Tylenol here and there, of course, if I was on antibiotics here and there, but once I got my transplant afterwards, remember in the beginning of transplant, you're on, what was it like 30 pills a day in the beginning? Cause you're on the steroids, the anti-rejection medications. I was on like antihypertensives, all the different like multivitamins, magnesium, calcium, all that stuff. So you're on pills. What was it like four times a day in the beginning? And I was like, how the hell am I supposed to balance my daily life with all these medications? I knew how important it was because, you know, being in the ER, we would see a lot of patients who were not taking their medications. And I saw kind of the consequences of not taking medications, whether it was people who had organ transplants or people who had, for example, high blood pressure and they were coming in with hypertensive emergencies. So for me, it was no question about whether or not I was supposed to take them. It was more so balancing out how I was going to take them with my schedule. In the beginning when I wasn't working yet, because it took a couple months for me to go back to work, it was fine because I would wake up and I had this whole schedule set out. I would wake up at like 8 a.m., eat breakfast, take my meds, you know, eat lunch, take my meds, eat dinner, eat, take my meds, before bedtime, take my meds. But as you know, when you start residency again, your schedule is all messed up. In the ER and ICU, we are doing shifts all over the place, including shifts like in the ER, we were doing shifts like from 2 p.m. to 2 a.m. We would do shifts. We would do like four night shifts in a row. We would have one day off. Then we would do like four day shifts in a row, you know, things like that. So your body kind of gets used to having no 
circadian rhythm at all. And then taking specific medications would mess with your body. So for example, I was taking Topamax, which was the reason why I was taking Topamax is because Prograf, which is one of our anti-rejection medications, was giving me a lot of migraines. And Topamax, one of the side effects is that it can make you kind of sleepy. And I was taking that at nights. Uh, and I had to figure out a way to kind of take them, even though I was on night shift, to take them right before my night shift and not be tired at night. And I had to like talk with my psychiatrist and my neurologist to see if I could take them in the morning. So there was like a lot of different things I had to do in the beginning to troubleshoot my medication regimen. But ultimately, I figured it all out and things got better with time. And now I'm about two and a half years out and things are a little bit easier. A little bit, not a lot easier. So that's basically kind of my story about taking meds. Yeah, exactly. And I've mentioned this before, but I'm going to be 10 years post-transplant and that doesn't really change the number of medications that I take. I still have to take a lot of medications. And when you get transplanted, they kind of let you know that you're going to be on medications for the rest of your life. So right now, I, for you know, those in the transplant community and those in medicine will know what I'm talking about. But for everyone else, you can just kind of know that I'm naming off a bunch of medications, but I still have to take tacrolimus, sirolimus, cardizem, rosuvastatin, aspirin, a multivitamin. And so recently, it may sound silly, but I just was able to have my medications for the first time all change to once a day medications because I was able to switch over to long acting medications. And again, it sounds silly, but it was such a relief on me to be able to only take medications once a day. It makes it so much easier for me in terms of when I'm leaving the home to make sure that I've either either taken my medications or have them with me. And it makes it easier, like if I'm going to go out at night to not have to worry to bring medications with me that night, because I have already taken all of my medications for the day in the morning, which, you know, for, for someone who's been on medications this long to switch from twice a day to once a day was super awesome. I remember when you said that you were on once a day medications now, I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to get to that point one day in my life, like in 10 years from now, because I'm still on twice a day. And I mean, in the middle of the day, I take vitamins, which is, I could probably take those with one or the other, but I still just cut them down into something in the middle of the day. But twice a day is still like kind of a big deal for me. So getting them down to once a day would be amazing. So when you told me that, I was like very jealous of you. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. And, but, you know, but it still comes with its own, I guess, paranoia. Um, you know, you, anyone who works knows that there's mornings where you're rushing out of your home to get to work. And you can imagine if you're on medications that are this important and you get to work and you realize you forgot to take your meds or you forgot to bring them with you, depending on when you take your meds, it's like something that just sits in your brain the whole day eating at you, knowing that you missed that dose because we're supposed to take our meds the same time every day. And it becomes very difficult with changes in scheduling. So I know, I know I'll be at work and it'll be like sitting in my brain all day that I forgot them and I'll just want to get home and take my medications. And it really makes you see how this can be difficult for patients as well, coming now switching sides and being on the side as a doctor um, and, you know, hearing patients how much difficulty they have with taking their pills. And, and I get it. Yeah, I definitely understand it too. I remember specifically when I was a resident, there was a patient of mine who we were taking care of him in the ICU and he had an organ transplant. I don't remember which organ transplant, but he, he was on Prograf himself. And he kept asking us to put in for 
because he had forgotten his his dose of Prograf at home. And of course, you know, they can't take their own medications generally when they're in the hospital. So he kept asking, he said, don't forget to order my Prograf. I usually take it at nine. Don't forget to put in my Prograf. I usually take it at nine. And I just didn't, I was like, oh, all right, like I'll put it in. Don't worry. We ended up getting it to him, but I just didn't understand like why he was so anxious. And like, it of course took me, you know, two, three years until I had my transplant when I like totally empathize with the fact that like that anxiety is one of a kind. Only us transplant recipients will understand how that anxiety is when you don't have your medication with you and you're somewhere where, you know, you either forgot them or, or you can't take your own medication and you don't have them with you and you need to be taking them at a specific time. And all you're thinking about is, oh my God, I am going to go into like organ failure in the next five, 10 minutes if I don't take them, which of course is not the case. I mean, you can miss a dose here and there, I'm sure. I don't, you know, I don't advise that, but generally speaking, it's it's best to take them at, at the same time every single day as advised. But again, like I will never forget that patient and how I feel nowadays if I don't have my meds with me. The what I do nowadays to to so that that doesn't happen to me is with like every ba- every purse of mine, every backpack of mine, everything that I have, I have like an extra few pills. It's Prograph and Celsept are basically the main things that we take. So every backpack and purse and little like anything that I have um, that I take to work with me or that I take out with me has like a little baggie full of Celsept and Prograph with me. So in case I forget my actual pill organizer, then I'll always have extra with me. And that actually happened to me like last month when I was in the ICU and I forgot my medications at home. So I was able to just use my extra set of pills. Do you do, you do that too? Yeah, I definitely do. I try and keep a set of pills at work. And then I have pill boxes. So I actually do four weeks of pills laid out at a time. So I already I always have four weeks of medications laid out and I go through them. Um, at the end of the four weeks, I reorganize another four weeks of medications. So then I always know I have a month worth of pills there. And then I'll know when I'm going to be running out of pills again to make sure that they're ordered for refill. It's a 30 minute process just to lay out my medications. And so I think it's one of those things as a physician, when you go and you, you know, ordering all these medications for someone, you don't ever like picture them at home having to try and organize them, make sure they don't make miss them, make sure they take them at the same time, the ones that they're supposed to take with food. It sounds so simple to just prescribe these medications and not realize how much work goes into it for the patients at home when they're on numerous medications and how to make it work. And especially if you think about patients who are years post-transplant or dealing with anything simple, just like hypertension, and maybe they're on four hypertension meds, right? These patients feel fine. They're, they're at home right. and they, they don't have any symptoms at all. And it becomes very easy for them to get so annoyed with pill taking. And that's why we see them show up in the hospital having not taken their medications. And it, again, it's just like, why wouldn't you take your meds? Once you've been taking them for this long and this many pills, you start to realize how burdensome it can be and maybe why you see these patients. And I'm happy, again, for my education to know how important these meds are because it drives me to take them when I could have maybe gotten complacent with it and stopped at some point. Yeah, that's very true. Very, very true. When you were going back to school, so for Mm -hmm. me, it was work, but for you, 
I think when you first got your transplant, were people like, how are you going to handle school and transplant? Are you going to be able to do that? How are you going to handle your appointments and pills and doing everything together? Are you going to be a full-time student? Were people kind of afraid of you going back or were they not sure you were going to make it? Yeah. So I went back to grad school seven months after my transplant and I was going to be about eight hours drive away from my transplant center. And I know that my transplant physicians and then at that time, the nurse practitioner who was really overseeing my medications was concerned about me kind of going and being a full-time student and how was I going to make my appointments work and everything. And I just said, I'm going to find a way to make it work and I'm going and you can't stop me and I'll do the best I can because I need my, my life to go on. And it becomes very difficult. You get calls all the time from the doctor's office being like, hey, you're due for an appointment and you're like, I'm doing my best. I'll try and get in at this time. Or they'll call when you're in class or you're in work and then you can't call them back until their office is closed and you're playing telephone tag through voicemail machines. You really just have to do your best. And the whole time you're just hoping that you don't get sick, especially in terms of you leave transplant. And for me, uh, you know, it was giving up one chronic illness of heart failure for the new chronic illness of being immunocompromised. And now being immunocompromised, I was like, I just don't want to get sick. I don't want to miss time in class. I don't want to miss time at work. And you know, (laughs) part of avoiding being sick is making sure your blood work's getting drawn at time, you're taking your medications, and then you're getting your follow-up appointments in and balancing it becomes very difficult because it's just human nature. It's not your priority. Your priority is kind of your job, making money and advancing your career. And, you know, you try and make your health, you know, right there with it as a top priority, but it sometimes gets put on a back burner, unfortunately. It does get put on a back burner at times, especially because we're not used to people around our age being as sick as us and we don't see it as often. So, you know, our friends are doing whatever they want. Our friends, our our colleagues are just doing their thing, you know, making money, uh, going to work every day, and they don't have to worry about all these things that we're worried about. So we just assume that we could do the same things. And so it's hard for us to, it's hard for other people to relate to us. And we just assume at times that we can be the same person that we were before our illness. So I remember I went to the same thing when, when I got my transplant, I remember the first thing that the heart transplant doctor told me was, yeah, you're probably going to have to, uh, they never told me that they, that I should get out of medicine, which is a question I get commonly asked. So I love them for that, but they did say, you know, you probably have to wait about a year and you probably are gonna, you know, maybe have to rethink, but you you could probably stay in medicine and, um, you know, we'll be all for you doing critical care and everything, but you probably have to wait a year. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm not waiting a year. I'm going to go back whenever I want. And of course, initially, when I went back to work, I was trying to do more administrative stuff than than patient care. But one of the reasons was because they said I couldn't get sick early on. And seeing patients early on was going to be putting me at risk for crazy infections, especially in the emergency department, where a lot of patients have have, you know, infections. So early, early on, you're very hyper immunosuppressed because you're on extra doses of immunosuppressants, you're on extra doses of steroids. And so until I was off of those steroids, I wasn't able to see patients. A part of that care early on is that you're getting 
calves all the time. You're getting blood work more often. You are extra, extra careful with, with who you're interacting with, who you're seeing, how many people could see you. Um, and so I remember I was like, I don't care. I'm still going to go to work, but I'm going to work around all of this. And I tried my best. Uh, the lucky thing for me was that I worked just literally blocks away from my transplant center. And then once I transferred, you know, now I work in New York city and my transplant center, I, I transferred transplant center. So I actually work in the hospital that is my transplant center. So it makes things a hundred times easier. The fact that I literally like round with my own doctors makes it easier for me. Of course, not everybody has that luxury, so I don't know, but but yeah, you just have to kind of work around it and and make sure that you understand that you are the priority now and your health is a priority, even though that's not everybody's priority necessarily. Yeah, I, I hear you on that. I too, I live, I live in Connecticut. I work in Massachusetts. I live closer to my transplant center than I do the hospital that I work in. And I live five minutes from my general cardiologist's office. So, you know, they are right there. And yet I still find going to see them difficult. I'm not one who ever likes to put my work on other people. So if I'm going to miss shifts that are important in the hospital, that means another cardiology fellow is going to need to cover it. So anytime I'm trying to schedule an appointment, I'm trying to find it either on a very light rotation where uh, it's okay that I'm going to miss or the absolute worst is that I'm going to try and get my appointments in during my vacation. And as you can imagine, when you only get a you know, small amount of vacation a year, when you're having to use vacation days to do doctor's appointments, it's just like a gut punch because that's the last thing you want to do on your days off. But it's something that some, you know, sometimes I have to do in order to fit them in. And I just, you know, I find it funny because at the end of every doctor's appointment, they like try and schedule me. And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm going to be doing at that time. But sure, schedule me. And then lo and behold, a week later, I'm calling them and being like, yeah, I'm not available then. Uh, sorry that I scheduled that day. I just, um, I'm not going to be able to make it. I'm actually working nights. Um, so yeah, I, I've run into that so much. I don't know, kind of you're too. So you're in your fellowship for ICU kind of when they're trying to call you and set up appointments and blood work. How do you try and handle it? Yeah, the same exact thing. Anytime I go to an appointment and then afterwards they're like, how about in like six months? Or like, how about in a month when you want, we want to come in on Tuesday, the 27th at 2 p.m.? I'm like, okay, probably not, but go ahead and put me on. And then, of course, I'll like email them like two days later and I'll be like, yeah, I'm working that day. I'm not going to be able to make it. But um, this similar things with me. So I usually try to schedule appointments on days off. Um, with that being said, I think one of my colleagues put it best when they said that preventive medicine is really what matters for people like us. So if we do have to, you know, get someone to cover a shift or get someone to even cover like, again, for me, it's a little bit different because I do work in the hospital that I do my blood work at. So like if somebody just needs to cover me for like 30 minutes while I go downstairs and get blood work done and come right back up is, is a, a lot easier for me. Um, so I have colleagues that are there for me for things like that. If it's a whole day's worth of appointments. So for example, uh, cath and an echo and this and this and this, then obviously I'm going to have to do that on a day off. If I'm feeling sick and I, or I have a fever or something where like, I definitely can't go to work, then I am not going to, which I'm sure you're the same, but and everybody should be like this. It's not just people who have 
transplants. But if I'm feeling sick, then I am going to, of course, call in sick because I think that preventive medicine and preventive measures are best for, I guess the best way to put this is if we were to possibly feel sick and stay home for one day and make sure everything's okay, that's way better than us working through it and getting even more sick and then having to be hospitalized for several days and having someone like cover for us for a week than just one day. So that's kind of the way that I see it, which I'm sure like you agree with and many people agree with. So if it's something like emergent, then I don't mind. But when it comes to day-long appointments, I absolutely try to do them on days off. I think so I, I think if people don't know about this, I got my hips replaced this past year during my fellowship. And it was really hard for me to even walk at one point. Like I was using a freaking cane at work and using a cane on rounds and like trying to do procedures when I was limping and not, I couldn't even stand. And that was really rough for me. And at one point, like my attendings were like, listen, like you have to just take medical leave because this is bad for your health. Like this is not okay. And I felt so bad because I felt like I had to put other people, you know, there to do my shifts. But at the same time, like all of my co-fellows, all of my colleagues were 100% there for me. And I figured like, I'm not going to break my leg. Like while I'm at work, I might as well just take the time I need off. Like my hips were literally like broken and I was trying to like work on them. So I think when it comes to emergent things, it's totally fine. And when it comes to doing things that I can just take 30 minutes here and there, then I can try to fit those in to either afternoons off or, or days off. So that's kind of the way that I see it. But again, things are different for me since my hospital is where I work at. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, you just got to make sure, I think we all know that people get sick and it's human nature that we, you know, push ourselves and we don't want to let people down. And, but in the end, you do need to put yourself first at times. And I certainly haven't recently had anything like needing bilateral hip replacement, but, you know, of course I've gotten (laughs) sick a few times and my co-residents, my co-fellows always step in and they're so, you know, understanding and I know that I would be the same way so if exactly and but but when I think it's you know when someone else does it's like oh yeah I got your back but then when I do it I'm like oh man I'm so and so is going to get called in I feel terrible but they feel the same way I think we understand that people have other things outside of work going on and and it's okay if they're going to need time off here and there I think it's in our nature as physicians especially like as type a physicians to just always feel like that and we always have this thing where we constantly feel guilty if you know we're putting someone else we feel like we're putting everybody at burden if we're not doing our thing but yeah i think this is just normal feelings that we all have and and once in a while it's okay to just know that you know we are going to be vulnerable and and it's okay to ask for help yeah i completely agree and i was actually thinking back to our earlier convo of you know i wish there was a way for <laughs> doctor's offices to be more understanding and accommodating to scheduling. Being immune compromised, one of the big concerns is skin cancer. And um, I don't know about you, but I am at risk. I've had multiple like, you know, not aggressive skin cancers, but I've had skin cancers that have needed to be removed since transplant and getting into a dermatologist's office is a nightmare. And they're always like, oh, yeah, we can see you in six months. And it's like, I can't wait six months. And so you 
schedule the appointment and then it turns out that you're not available that day because you didn't realize you're on you know a ccu shift that you can't really take off and then they're like well yeah okay so we'll have to reschedule you and the next available appointment is in another four months and so i think we as physicians need especially physicians who have the ability to have communication with their schedulers have an opening for it to be like, hey, we need to keep maybe a few openings every so often for these people that need to switch um, and have legitimate reasons for switching, not just because they didn't, not because they no showed their appointment, but because they called us and let us know, let us know, hey, you know, I can't get in there, but it's important that we see them. And that would just be one of my recommendations to all medical professionals out there who are listening. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I had a similar issue with OB-GYN because after transplant, you have to get your pap smears done more often because you're at a higher risk for cervical, you know, for different cancers, but they do pap smears more often and, and check for cervical cancer. And I remember I was supposed to get surveillance pap smears done and they said like the next available appointment was like in eight months. And I was like, well, what if there's like a cancer, like there's cancer brewing? Do I have to, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's slow growing, but I had the same exact fear as you. And they really couldn't do anything about it. They had they had a one appointment available in eight months and one available appointment in like six months. And what I had to do was basically call once a week and see if there was any cancellations up until then, which again, it's nobody's fault. I think it's it's just that they're so busy. It's not that they're doing it on purpose or they're doing it maliciously, but you're absolutely right that they should be freeing up things. Uh, I've never been an outpatient doctor, so I don't know what it's like to do that, but maybe as an outpatient cardiologist, you can change that about your practice. <laughs> I did do outpatient work, though, throughout residency. Um, I was the assigned primary care provider for over 100 patients. And all the scheduling is done, you know, without my knowledge. And so I would have to have been having an appointment with a patient for me to understand that they like needed an urgent appointment. Um, you know, when their calls are coming in for rescheduling, I normally wouldn't be hearing about that. And that's, you know, how it works. And in a way, that's how it should work, because I'm worrying about their health care. I can't be worrying about how the scheduling is going down as well. But I'm sure there's something we can do. And, and maybe if it's just having a few open appointments here and there, which is tough, because they do do that. They, we have them for urgent appointments. But if it's just like your yearly you know, skin cancer screening, and you can't make it. And then all of a sudden, you're going to get pushed, you know, six to 12 months back, it's like, it's not your yearly screening anymore. Now it's two years post your last screening, and you're at high risk. And that's yeah. where I'm trying to figure out a way that we could do that for people. And I, I don't have the answers, but maybe someone out there does. Yeah, so someone fix it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So the the last thing I wanted to talk about was how has you becoming a patient now changed how you discuss care as a physician with your patients who are dealing with like noncompliance and struggling with trying to find out how to how to balance this? Oh, that's a good question. I think so I think the first thing to definitely admit is that being a patient physician is always going to be different than being just a a regular like non-physician patient. We're always going to have a different perspective on things just because we come from a different background. But with that being said, I do try to give advice, you know, if they ask for it or if if there's anything that I could say that might help them. I there's ways that I know 
there's things that I do or there's things that I've seen about the healthcare system in general. Like, for example, navigating how I get my medications, how I know that it's way easier to get three months of medications in advance rather than just one month, how I know that specific pharmacies are a lot easier than other pharmacies to deal with. There's things that I know just from my patient experience that I try to disclose to my own patients. I mean, when I can, when, when the time's right, that I think helps them. Um, if they ever ask, ask these questions, for example, I work in a transplant ICU. And if the patients ever ask specific questions about being a transplant patient, for example, how many pills do you take a day? Or uh, how do you go about taking your pills? I tell them about this is what I do. This I I put, so personally I I put my pills out one one week in advance just because I I like to do it that way, and I tell them that you know I I like to get my medications three months in advance. I put my pills out every Sunday. I do it this way. I have this organizer. I have this. So anything that I can do to help them, I I'm very open with. But I do acknowledge the fact that being a physician patient is always going to be a little bit different, just because we have a different background of things, and and you know. I think the way that we go about things is always going to take into consideration the fact that we just have that medical knowledge that comes with us being a physician that not everybody has. Um, it's not necessarily better all the time. It's just different than what our patients see. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think personally, and you know, of course I'm biased, but I think it gives us a leg up on other physicians as well in terms of how we can talk with the patients. And I think that goes for nurses, advanced practitioners, when they too have been through, you know, chronic illness, not just transplant, but if you're, you know, immune compromised because of rheumatological or IBD or something like that, I think those people have a a way of speaking with patients that, you know, resonates with them. And I think now being a physician, dealing with patients, who are, you know, not wanting to take their pills or not wanting to go through something just because it, it sounds tough. I, I can use my own experience for the better with them. And I, a lot of times, once I've gotten to know a patient, like I can walk in the room and, and I'll be like, this shit sucks, huh? And I'll like literally use those yeah. words like this shit sucks. And I, totally do I can see it changes how they're like looking at me and how we're about to have a talk about this conversation. And recently I had a patient on chronic milrinone. And for those you know who don't know, milrinone is just you know an advanced heart failure medication that patients can be on chronically to try and help them symptom wise, or some of them will be on it as a bridge to heart transplant. And I had a patient who was stuck in the hospital with it as we were trying to find like a fluid balance that worked with him and things really weren't looking good. And I would just come in and literally me and him would just be like swearing at each other back and forth. <laughs> and it was like oh, I love that. the best interaction. And because I told him, you know, I don't like you. I only share my story when I think it fits the patient encounter. You know, I don't tell my patients who are in for, for nausea and vomiting that I had a transplant. It, it has no point in the conversation. But with someone like him, it does. And he understands that I know what it's like to be stuck in a hospital on chronic milrinone. And me and him will just shoot the shit, talk about football and, and stuff like that. And it allows me to break those barriers down and then kind of build the relationship up and talk to him about the importance of things that he's about to need to do at home to try and stay healthy and get better. Yeah, I love that. I did the same thing. There was a young patient who had, he was in end organ failure of some sort and got an emergent transplant. And I was kind of hanging out with him. 
his significant other had called me and asked me to talk to him. And for no particular reason, she didn't know that I had a transplant. At some point in the conversation, I disclosed to her that I also had a transplant. And she said, oh my God, but you're like our age. Like, And I kind of told her the story and she said, do you mind talking to him? Because he's been so depressed about everything. Like everything happened to him so quickly. And he had, you know, he doesn't really know how to deal with this. And I said, sure, you know, that's fine. And I remember I went into the room and, you know, how we are, a lot of us nowadays, I don't know if any of you out there could tell, but a lot of us, especially in critical care and emergency medicine, I'm sure in cardiology, a lot of us in medicine are just really burned out. So, you know, I went into the room and I was just talking to him and I, I didn't like, I honestly talked to him like he was my friend. Like I just sat down and I was like, Hey, like, you know, I talked to so-and-so and I'm just here to tell you, like, I also have a transplant. I've been through a lot of shit too. And and I know, I know how tough this is. And at first he didn't really understand. I don't think he fully understood the fact that I, I just told him that I also had a transplant. So we continued to talk for like five, 10 minutes. And then finally he was like, wait, did you, did you say you have a transplant? And I said, I said, yeah, I, I have a, I have a transplant. And then, and then we like talked for a little bit longer and then, you know, it became a very emotional conversation. And at the end, you know, it turned into like a lot of laughter and we were just joking around. And then as I was leaving the room, he said, Hey, you know, you, you call me my first name. He said like, Hey, Aline, like, I just want to let you know that I think this conversation like saved my life. And honestly, that had been the most life-saving that I felt like I had done in a long time. Um, and that was recently. So I think that our connection with patients uh, kind of made me feel, makes me feel like everything that we have been through almost makes it worth it, right? Like it sucks that we've been through a lot, but at the same time, it gives us this different side of medicine that not everybody can necessarily see. Uh, again, doesn't make us any better. It just gives us this other perspective. So I completely agree with you. I definitely, you know, I wouldn't wish a heart transplant on anyone, <laughs> but I I do think it's just given me this different approach to how I you know, care for people. And I think, you know, my main recommendation to physicians, advanced practitioners, nurses, anyone in the healthcare field who is out there, you know, taking care of people and maybe has not been in a situation where they were really sick. I still think you can be honest with people and feel like you don't need to walk on eggshells. I think I don't have to have had a heart transplant to walk into a patient's room and be like, this shit sucks, huh? Yeah, like anyone yeah. can say that to them as long as you've already built that rapport. I think it resonates with people when you acknowledge this is a really tough situation and this is how we're going to get out of it instead of maybe always just trying to, to talk about how to get out of it in the hope, like acknowledge how tough of a situation it is first. Exactly, exactly. So that's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed listening to us. We would love to hear from you, anyone out there working in healthcare who's dealing with any medical illnesses. It does not have to be transplant. If you have any questions for us, please reach out. And if you, you know, have any ideas for future episodes, we would love to hear from you as well. Thanks for joining us on both sides of the stethoscope this week. Uh, next week, we are going to be taking a one-week break, and then we'll follow up with an episode with one of our favorite transplant doctors, Dr. Ken, a transplant nephrologist and transplant recipient himself. He actually has a kidney transplant and became a transplant nephrologist. We'll talk about his story. We'll interview him. And if you have any questions for him, feel free to email us at bothsidesofthestethoscope at gmail.com. Feel free to follow us, like us, subscribe, 
Uh, all you can do on both sides of the stethoscope, on Instagram and on Twitter.